Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Hey, we're back. It's Michael Smirkanish. What a privilege this will be. Two of the nation's most prominent lawyers, David Boyce, and Theodore Olson here today to discuss their new book, Redeeming the Dream, the case for marriage equality, formerly, you know this, seen as political opponents in the landmark Bush v. Gore case that determined the outcome of the 2000 presidential election. Boyce and Olson have since joined together and were successful in overturning California's Prop 8, banning same-sex marriage and paved the way for marriage equality. If you haven't yet read the book, and I highly recommend it, perhaps last night on HBO, you saw The Case Against Eight, which is the documentary that thoroughly covers the whole five-year trajectory of the case. Here with me now, David Boyce, Theodore Olson, Redeeming the Dream, The Case for Marriage Equality. Gentlemen, it's a privilege to have you here. I thoroughly enjoyed the book and also thoroughly enjoyed the case against eight, the documentary, which I had the opportunity to watch. Well, that's great. It's ha- we're happy to be here today. What most puzzles me is I, I look at the totality of the case and political junkie that I am. How as recently as 2008, on the day that Californians were overwhelmingly supporting Barack Obama, could seven million of them have been supportive of California Proposition 8? It was. It's a sad commentary. Uh, unfortunately, there was a uh, rigorous, well-disciplined, highly financed $40 million campaign to convince Californians that somehow gay and lesbian citizens were a threat to them uh, and that gay and lesbian citizens should not be married because if, if they were allowed to get married, it might somehow send a message to Californians and their children that it was okay to be gay, that their relationships were okay. Uh, but unfortunately, this has happened over and over again in many states throughout the United States where minorities' rights are put on a ballot um, and people vote on them and they deprive minorities of, of, of fundamental rights. It was a sad thing. And so we were very glad to have the opportunity to try to do something about it. I guess my point is that if that outcome had come from a primary election where Republicans only had voted or a low interest general election, it wouldn't shock me. But the fact that it was a presidential general election, well, I guess events have moved so quickly. If that vote were to be taken today or in 2016, I think we'd see a different outcome. Would the two of you agree with that? Yes, I think we would. And I think you see that in the national polls Uh, back in 2008 a substantial majority of the American people opposed marriage equality. Today, a substantial majority of the American people support marriage equality, and the support for marriage equality on behalf of people who are 30 and under is between 75 and 80 percent. So I do think there has been a very significant movement uh, in public opinion, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that in 2008, there really had not been a vigorous um, mainstream debate about marriage equality um, that had been fought out in a few states. Um, the opponents of marriage equality had had a lot of the podium, so to speak, to themselves. Um, they had 
a very disciplined, well-financed, multi-state camp- campaign. Uh, there were many people who were working to bring gay rights and marriage equality to the country, um, but they hadn't gotten uh, the traction uh, in terms of mainstream discussion um, that they've been successful in getting over the last few years. And I think that this is an issue that if you can get the American people to think about it, they really have to come out one way. Uh, there really is not a policy argument, a legal precedent argument in favor of discrimination. Um, discrimination continues when people aren't forced to focus on the damage and the illegality um, of that discrimination. And that's what was happening, unfortunately. I think the, the, great thing, the great thing is that the American people have thought about this issue and they're changing their mind. And indeed, in front of the Supreme Court, when the Proposition 8 proponents were asked for a justification, they couldn't come up with one. And when uh, one of the questions from the justices was relative to a sterilized couple, if it's only about procreation, yeah. then what about a sterilized? And there was no response to that. Right. No, I think that I think that shows really the poverty of analysis that's on the other side. I have to say that the whole subplot of your relationship is one of the the more intriguing dynamics of both the book Redeeming the Dream, the case for marriage equality, as well as the documentary film. It's a friendship born of Bush v. Gore. True. It is, that is exactly right. Um, I will say, for me, uh, watching David represent uh, Vice President Gore and the manner in which he conducted himself and the, and the way he presented his arguments, I, I grew to. I had known David and I had respected him by reputation uh, before that, but because we were so closely associated during that epic five-week struggle over the presidency in the year 2000, uh, we as opponents uh, spent a lot of time looking at one another and, and examining one another's work. And I, I think that I think it's fair to say that we developed a, a considerable mutual respect after the election. David was very kind um, and assisted me in my confirmation efforts to become Solicitor General of the United States. Uh, both uh, David's wife and my wife uh, and our families grew closer together, and we've done a lot of things together. I think the fundamental point, and it should attract people's attention, is that persons on opposite ends of the political spectrum that may have different views about certain issues can nonetheless come together on matters that count and, and work together to do things for, for the good of the country. And we, we, we hope that we can inspire other people to think about what's good for the country and come together on things that you can agree upon uh, and work together uh, instead of fighting with one another all the time. And it's been extremely gratifying for me to work with David on this case uh, and, uh, and to us collectively to assist uh, our fellow citizens uh, seeking to redeem their dreams of equality. And Ted, you've anticipated my next question really more of a comment that I would hope that our politicians today, both left and right, Republican and Democratic, could take a lesson from the relationship between David Boys and Theodore Olson. If you can work together on a matter of this import, why can't they take care of the people's business on a day-to-day basis? We, we agree with that uh, completely. And I think one of the, one of the great uh, sort of sub-stories in Redeeming the Dream is... Ted and my relationship and, and the journey that we took 
um, not only during Bush v. Gore, but during the Proposition 8 case, um, and how we came to understand uh, the pain and the, act and, the, and the damage that was being done to our gay and lesbian citizens by this discrimination. We began the case as a, as a constitutional case, uh, and it remained a constitutional case, but I think it also became a very emotional journey for the two of us. How difficult was it to define the division of labor between the two of you? In other words, you, you knew each other's strengths. Therefore, was it easy to say, okay, David, your cross-examination is extraordinary, so that will be the way in which you'll handle the case, and I, Theodore Olson, will take care of the argument in front of the Supreme Court of the United States if and when we get there? How did that work? Well, the, you're absolutely right that we're what we did is we brought two law firms together, um, many, many, many lawyers from David's firm and many, many lawyers from my law firm uh, worked together as a single, seamless law firm, and that we worked together on decision-making, allocation of responsibilities. Of course, David is, um, I would say, the most well-known and, and, and uh, most excellent trial lawyer in the United States. So when it came to cross-examination, we wanted to go to David's strength. And, of course, he proved that that was a good idea. Uh, and as you will see, uh, uh, anyone who reads the book will see, we talk about David's cross-examination and the effect of that in that case. I've done a little bit more appellate work, and so arguments to courts uh, as opposed to putting on witnesses and so forth uh, was something that we had me do. But in each case, uh, we did, I did some pre presentation of witnesses, and David did arguments on various different legal issues. So we were somewhat interchangeable, and the teamwork was phenomenal. And it's another lesson that if you find people that you respect professionally, if you can work together with them, you do not have to agree on what the – the tax rate ought to be or what the export-import policy, you can find the things that you agree on and work together. It's an extremely gratifying experience. When Chad Griffin came, Ted, to your office for the first time, he described it as a Republican Hall of Fame. And the point, <laughs> the point then that gets made in both the book and, and also uh, was made in the documentary film is that it, it wasn't just that you needed to get uh, comfortable with liberal Democrats, liberal Democrats needed to be comfortable with you. Which was the bigger challenge, appeasing which end of the spectrum that it was okay that David Boyes was on board, it's okay that Ted Olson is on board? Well, I would, I would say that it was not hard for them to convince me or for me to work together for people that cared about equality for gay and lesbian citizens. That's something that I believed when, the, when Chad walked through the door. I did feel that I had a burden uh, to prove to our li liberal friends or people on that side of the political spectrum that I could be trusted. I said that at the very first press conference. I said, I recognize the responsibility is on me to earn your faith. I think David's participation in this case solidified our effort to do that because people thought the two of us working together, my goodness, you can trust the two of them working together. And that's how our partnership was formed and developed. Um, and, 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 and over time, I think that uh, we grew um, in, in stature with the people that were started out thinking that maybe this was a partnership that they couldn't trust to a partnership that they could trust. Gentlemen, where the five to four decision from the Supreme Court was on standing, this is not yet over. Is that a fair statement? 
I think that's a fair statement. And um, we argued in the uh, Fourth Circuit um, Court of Appeals a case that we are working with other lawyers in Virginia, including the ACLU, on to uh, invalidate the Virginia constitutional ban on marriage equality. And that case, as well as a number of other cases that are being handled by other lawyers, are working their way through the appellate courts. One of those cases will presumably go to the Supreme Court, one or more. And at that point, um, the Supreme Court hopefully will decide uh, the way that Judge Walker already decided in California, which is that these bans on marriage equality, on bans on people marrying the person that they love, are simply unconstitutional under the Due Process and Equal Protection Clauses of the United States Constitution. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124, and on the SXM app. Something that I was thinking as I was reading Redeeming the Dream, the Case for Marriage Equality, boy, I wish there were cameras in the Supreme Court of the United States. In the documentary film version, one gets to hear audio excerpts from that argument. Of course, the transcripts are available. But may I ask both David Boyes and Theodore Olson to weigh in on that issue of whether Americans have a right to be watching those proceedings? I, 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 I frankly would support that. Um, in this case, um, there were actually cameras in the court, the trial courtroom, and I think that it was too bad that those uh, videotapes that were made of the entire trial, of all of the testimony, including the powerful testimony from individual plaintiffs, um, uh, are not released. Uh, those, those, trial trans- those trial videos um, are sealed and are only available to the courts to use in connection with various appeals. And I think that if the American people could have seen what actually happened at that trial. That would have helped everybody understand uh, why Judge Walker came out the way he did. And I agree that uh, with respect to cameras in the United States Supreme Court, I have enormous respect for the court, its traditions, its history, and the individual justices, all of them, all of the justices on that court are able, competent, hardworking, uh, committed, principled individuals. And every time I'm in the Supreme Court, I am in awe of the process. Uh, Each of the justices are engaged. Uh, Each of the justices uh, is committed to the case, asks probing, intelligent questions. And I think the American people would have even greater respect for the Supreme Court if they could see what was going on. We see these five to four decisions, and it looks like that's an awful thing that they can't come together nine to zero. Two-thirds of the Supreme Court's decisions are unanimous. It's only a a, a fraction of the cases every year that are closely divided. But when they're closely divided, the justices explain themselves in their questions during the uh, oral arguments and explain their opinions in writing at the end of the decision, explaining exactly why they came out the way they did. The Supreme Court's an institution that people can and should respect. The justices are concerned about their privacy, um, and they're, they're concerned that if they're recognized every time they go to an airport or something, their safety might be threatened, and I can understand that. On the other hand, um, it is 
the uh, one of the most important public institutions we have and one I, the, the institution of our government that the public respects more than the other two branches of government the congress of the united yep. states and the presidency of the united states at least from time to time are not held in very high regard uh, and some people while they disagree with the supreme court's decisions from time to time pretty much respect the institution uh, cameras in that courtroom would just enhance that respect i believe and finally, gentlemen, it's funny how life works. Where would we be if the man that we all watched and loved as meathead on All in the Family hadn't been licking his wounds in the aftermath of that Prop 8 vote at the Beverly Hills Hotel? That's absolutely right. Rob Reiner and his wife, Michelle Reiner, are absolutely spectacular people. They're extremely talented. Uh, Rob writes, acts, produces, directs, and so forth, and Michelle is a warrior, um, and the two of them, um, who are not gay, and, and, and uh, as they kid about it, they're gay adjacent, um, as we mentioned in the book, but they put themselves behind this effort and decided that they were going to put themselves on the line, and they brought us into this case, and they brought other people into this case to help finance it. Uh, they are really pe- they are the people that should receive an enormous amount of credit for their integrity and their fierce determination to eliminate an inequity in California. We, I, David and I have enormous respect for them. What a privilege. David Boyce, Theodore Olson, best of everything with redeeming the dream. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Hey, how cool was that to have those two legal giants on the program? And I do uh, really recommend this book redeeming the dream and watch the hbo documentary on it which played to raves at uh, at sundance and i'm trying to think of what the other film festival uh was not my strong suit but it's it's extremely well done two observations if i might observation number one what a lesson they have set or staged for washington in terms of, I mean, here's a guy who represented Al Gore in front of the Supreme Court. Here's the guy who represented W in front of the Supreme Court. Fierce rivals, a friendship springs from that. Imagine that. They break bread together. They get along. They've joined their intellectual heft. And look at the success that they've had with regard to overturning Prop 8 in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. One hopes that elected officials at both ends of the spectrum We'll take a page out of, literally take a page out of the Boys and Olson book. That's my first observation. My second observation is I pulled the language from Prop 8 because I wanted to see what were California voters actually voting on. Only marriage between a man and a woman is valid or recognized in California. That's it. That basic. Only marriage between a man and woman is valid or recognized in California. Seven million 1,084 people, or better said, 52% of those who came out to vote, voted yes on Prop 8. That was only in 2008, and that was at the same time that 60.9% of California voters were giving their votes to Barack Obama. And I find that remarkable. If you were to have that vote today in California, I, I think you'd at a minimum see the reverse of what the findings were on Prop 8. Kind of interesting, though, isn't that in, in, in less than eight years, in six years, you know, in six years, the country has moved so far on this issue. 
Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.